0: To Henry Farmer. In the year of the primal
2: court, from the dawn of terrestrial world, the man mastered the mammoth and thought, and man was the lord of the earth. He made him an hollow skin from the heart of an early tree. He compassed the earth therein, and the man was the lord of the sea. He controlled the vigorous steam, he harnessed the lightning for fire, he drove the celestial team, and man was the lord
3: Good morning, good afternoon, good wherever, whatever, whomever you may be. This is Alan Averill, this is Agitators Anonymous, this is episode 31. Well, 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 there's been a lot to talk about. There is a lot to talk about, a lot of things have been happening, but yet at the same time it feels like nothing has been happening. However, I thought... We might as well have a break from my meanderings and my ramblings. And this episode is a special guest, an old friend of mine. This is Ivar Bjornson from Enslaved and Skuggsa and a bunch of other projects. He runs by Norsk Record label. He runs a whole bunch of things he'll explain. Um, the parallels between Primordial, my own band and Enslaved and his are quite... Profound. We both started off coming from the second wave black metal scene, but took a little step sideways into culture, history, and heritage, which we discuss. It's an interesting discussion. It's a little bit over an hour, a little bit longer than the normal um, video casts I've been doing. It's a video cast, obviously, over on YouTube. You can go and see our ugly heads in full repose. But hang in there. Some interesting stuff. Ivar is a very thoughtful. Um, Very insightful and super polite gentleman. So, follow me on Instagram, nemthiang underscore primordial. If you want to go to patreon.com slash Alan Averill with two capital A's. I post other podcasts, other content, this and that, etc. Dread Sovereign has a new album dropping soon and the new single is out on the 15th. So, maybe... Have a look at our band camp. Keep an eye out for that. Um, I will be posting the videos to it on the YouTube channel, amongst other things. The show is sponsored by Hate Couture. That is hateful yet tasteful metal clothing apparel. um, www.hatecouture616.com Put in the promo code ALAN. And you will get free shipping, my friends. Who could say anything better than that, hmm? Anyway, so without further ado, here is episode 31, a chat with Ivar from Enslaved. Good afternoon, sir. How are you doing? Oh, it's good morning, actually. I love your background. Let's start with that.
2: Yeah, it's the city of Bergen, the famous wharf.
0: Where. uh,
3: I mean that's not going to sound that's not going to sound very good on a podcast. Hey, I like your background, but hey, I like your background. I guess okay, you know.
2: Yeah.
3: So yeah. What, what's been what's been going on? How have, how are you enjoying the end of the world? How's it going for you?
2: Uh, I enjoyed it more in, to begin with, to be honest. The first few yeah. weeks were pretty, It um, was was nice with uh, few people going around and uh, yeah, but then with all this like non action going on it's it's sort of getting on my nerves i have to uh, yeah to admit, uh, not playing we, we did two shows actually uh last week which was quite fantastic in all really? 200, 200 uh, seated people um that worked out very well um and how people. and uh where did like how do
3: they how does that work? Do they test people at the door or how does it how does
2: that work? No, it was uh, allowed to be 200 people. I guess they would have just have to trust those 200 people to not be infected or whatever. I see. Uh, so, it was big rooms, so they had a bit of distance between them. Um and it was definitely a a new experience. We had done a few of these streaming shows up front, so I guess that sort of uh made us more or less ready for it, and it was a big step up from being in an empty room with a couple of uh, <coughs> depressed camera people. Uh, 200 metal people was a lot better. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Seated, the air guitar playing works too, and people were headbanging, holding onto their seats, and sort of inventing new ways of um, of enjoying a metal show. So yeah, in in all its weirdness, it was it's, it was really cool.
3: Yeah, I mean we've hadn't. Um... I mean, I don't know exactly the terms of your lockdown or how the last seven or eight months have been. I mean, people who listen to the podcast are probably tired of me saying that Ireland is or has been the strictest lockdown of any country. I mean, work that one out. But um, yeah, we've, we, I don't think anyone has even stood on a stage here since February. Nothing. They there hasn't been an attempt at anything at all, you know. That sucks. And how did you get clear? Did you have to get like clearance from the authorities for that? Or how does it, how did it work?
2: Yeah, the, the uh, people who arranged it, they had to go and get some kind of clearance from the authorities. And it was just within the window of, uh, because it, the day after they went back down to the maximum amount being 20 people. So 20? Now, yeah, <laughs> which is... If, which is impossible again, so yeah they do try and make things happening and they 've done this thing about opening a little bit here and there, but mm. then they have to shut it down again because people don 't really do their part I guess that 's the problem mm.
3: and one of the things I was thinking about um, before uh, we started this was obviously norway isn 't exactly in the you know under the same how should we say, rules that come from Brussels, the same sort of centralized rules in Europe, you know, you're a bit sort of outside. Um, is, has, do you think Norway's been following the same kind of procedures as the rest of Europe? I mean, it strikes me that different countries seem to be sort of making up rules as they go along that are rather different to each other, you know?
2: Yeah, there doesn't seem to be any centralized um... Uh, governance of of that no. Norway seems to be making their own things. Just comparing it to Sweden what's been going on there has been wildly different. Uh, Finland has their own things. Finland seems to be the strictest one of the Nordics. Um, really? Yeah. They have closed their borders. I don't know if they've recently reopened or something but it's been to go to Finland without any sort of official business has been impossible. Because I, uh, I know that to be working for them well i know i had the guy i had um
3: my friend from uh, grave pleasures matt on and he lives in tampere in finland and he was saying that it's been quite open he was saying that their life hasn't really changed that much at all and they've still been able to you know they've had pubs open and they've had a few things open now maybe it's different of course if you're coming in and out of the country i guess
2: yeah maybe that's got to do with it i don't know uh, because that's what i heard also is that finland you can do People are planning to do shows there um, for next year and everything and they, they have they've done the same thing with but with a thousand capacity
3: um oh, okay so you're like 200 people in a thousand capacity room probably yeah mm-hmm. i mean i i was thinking i've been thinking about this and talking a bit about this in the podcast is that if these rules persist next year it's going to be very difficult for bands like ours it's going to be you can have For small underground bands who are pulling, let's say, twenty-five to one hundred and twenty-five people, you could probably theoretically, if you're in Bavaria, get in your van and do a tour of fifty people every night. Or if you're a huge band who can do a residency, you know, like a Vegas-style thing where you sit into one venue for a week or two. But for bands in the middle who need to fly, need an economy, have one or two crew, are used to pulling four, five, six hundred people, this make this being in the middle. Is kind of, I think, what will be the most difficult thing to, for, to, to, to happen, you know?
2: Absolutely. Um, because you're, you're, then you're going to need like really big venues to do a the re- reduced capacity, and that's yeah. going to be way too costly.
3: Yeah, you're going to need like a two and a half or three thousand capacity venue. Yes. And we just don't play in those. I mean, in Ireland, it goes from this, it goes from about 1,200, 1,400. Up to eight thousand or ten thousand. There's very few ban- very few venues that are three thousand. I noticed this across Europe, you know.
2: Exactly. I think that's something you could probably find in the U.S. But uh, <laughs> going on a U.S. tour is not exactly no as you could imagine doing anyway. So, so, yes, uh, so I have no idea what's happening there.
3: So uh, I mean, you know, the myth always is amongst I guess amongst musicians. And this is one thing I wanted to ask you. I probably annoyed you about this before, of course, but. The, I guess the myth is that um, Norway supports its artists much in a much better way than most, well, just most countries in general. But ha, have you received support from the state throughout all of this, if that's not too weird a question? Uh,
2: like COVID-related stuff? We're, we have applied, we're waiting to, uh, to get an answer um, for something that they called a um, co- compensation um, arrangement that that's for all all of the cultural businesses right bands or backline suppliers or or uh, venues or whatever um for now it's it's mostly the people who arrange concerts that have been uh, benefiting from the support arrangements to to sort of keep them afloat um so we have one in that are supposedly would give us something like 50 percent compensation for any surplus that would have been from shows in Norway, you know. Oh, okay. Uh, Which means that's probably one one concert for us. Um, Yeah, we're uh, the same. That's actually a hot potato being discussed in Norway now, because there's a bunch of these bands that received, uh, like us, have received support uh, for touring in in earlier years, Uh, but they they've decided that the compensatory uh, arrangements are for f- events happening or not happening in Norway. So uh, yeah, for, for this particular pandemic, to put it weirdly, uh, th- there ha- hasn't been anywhere uh, for us to, to, uh, to apply simply. It's not been, not been that we haven't received, that we've been turned down or anything like that, but there hasn't been anywhere to turn to. There's no hmm. way to, nowhere to apply. Yeah. Can be um, yeah frustrating in one sense, but on the other hand, I do get it that that there's so many industries, there's so many uh, different people uh, suffering in in uh, like business wise in, in a pandemic. That if the like the foreign touring bands sort are of are like put down on the list, I, I do understand that.
3: Yeah, I mean, I suppose if we if we if we look back at what we just talked about, three you know fucking six minutes ago which is that every country seems to have a different uh evaluation of its own rules well then i suppose um the fact that a band like primordial or enslaved makes the majority of its money playing abroad then they're not going to compensate you for that um i mean that that makes sense what you're saying it's just been very uh i guess the fact here that no one has even tried to put on Anything, not even comedy, like, you know, outside comedy or the state has literally given nothing uh, to the people kind of shows me that arts to them really is only associated with tourism. (laughs) I.e. Irish traditional music is only associated with how many Americans you can bring in the door, Um, which has been a cliche for 20 20 or 30 years. But how was it to release you know, you released an album during this and I've been saying on, the, on this thing, people have been listening to it, have been listening to me going, if I had an album to release, I wouldn't release it. But how was, well, how, what were your, did you have any sort of misgivings? Did you think, oh, we need to put this back until we can play? Or what was your feeling?
2: No, the thing is, I don't think we really, we didn't feel that we had much of a choice. Uh, things were so far in the, in the pipeline. Um, that it would be sort of, yeah, we decided it was better to to do the best out of whatever happened with this, yeah. this album uh, and see where that took us. Um, so the, the there was a little bit of postponement, postponement from May till October, but that was it. Um, you know, we don't know if it's going to be, how much longer it's going to be lasting and so yeah. on. And uh, people's habits are going to be changed anyways so we figured it was kind of th- kind of the same vibe when this so-called digital re- revolution hit us over the head uh, towards the late 2000s when, when things went like oh the physical market is dying uh, mm. it's only digital you're going to lose uh, your income and so on uh, so yeah we decided yeah just let's see what, what, what we can do and and uh, and do the best out of, of releasing an album during the plague.
3: That's an interesting way of observing it, the relationship to digital land. Um, I mean, the, obviously, the, one of the things that I think has become really apparent with, let's say, the metal scene in this whole situation is that the metal scene fundamentally hasn't really changed that much since, say, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, in that um, it's very stark that the economy for bands is in playing live, and that's also how you break a band, and that. Um, most you know other forms of modern music um, breaking if we call it that I'm doing little fucking parenthesis rabbit things here uh, is based on content creation but heavy metal is still about going out and playing so with that taken away um, it's almost as if to me the kind of artery of rock or metal has been severed and you're looking around and you're thinking to yourself wow we have no economy now because streaming none of the bands are big enough to have any streaming numbers that will compensate you for that. And in the reality is I think an awful lot of bands are gonna, well, disappear or whatever. Well, not maybe an awful lot, but many bands would maybe just put it on the shelf for a while. But it's really been quite stark how old fashioned heavy metal still is, I suppose. Have you felt that? Sorry, I loaded the question that asked you, do you agree with me?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I do agree um, as it happens. And I think for us also, it's it's definitely changed the focus For, for us. Never during this year has the like the whole issue of like how can we um, how can we sort of monetize or or survive money wise isn't that's just off off the books that's we just have to disregard that whole thing and, and look at other <clears throat> ways you know we, we've been working outside of the ban that's something we've been doing um, yeah. all the time all the guys are 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 also are, are make basically making their money from yeah, from, from other work, which is luckily happens to be somewhat related to what we're doing in Enslaved, so it's still within the, the sphere of interest, but I think going back again to the digital um, revolution, so to speak, it's that taught us that there is no sort of safety net in that sense when it comes to, you can do a huge success on a, uh, launching a, a, a single on Spotify, and it will get you on all the playlists, and that will... Raise your place by hundreds and thousands of of streams, and, and that's going to amount to what? Yeah. Approximately not.
3: Yeah. Anyway, well, nothing at all. Yeah, I mean so, it's.
2: I have to say, th- first when I'm thinking about how to put food on the table for the family, hmm. that's not necessarily done through enslaved, to be honest. No.
3: No, and it's a really crazy situation. I did I did one of these with Adif from Solstafir and at that moment, Addy was working in a quarry breaking rocks with a hammer. And the metaphor for a musician from a band like Solstaphyr, who are a fucking big band with several videos that have millions of views. Um, okay. And the metaphor that the main guy, the main songwriter is out there breaking rocks with a hammer just seemed to be a, a just perfect metaphor for where elements of the music industry are held by the streaming percentages, you know, because the reality is for something that's old fashioned like heavy metal, an awful lot of pop music is the streams are driven by seven to 12 year olds who just, you know, keep playing the same thing. So in that sense, we're never going to be able to compete at least financially to make a revenue stream, you know.
2: And also uh, a very high percentage of those um, Spotify consumers, they're not even, very not active. I heard some numbers that in in certain parts of of the music industry, it's somewhere around 80% of what's being consumed is just being just opening the app and pushing play. Yeah, and, and everything else is just pretty much arranged for you, so that you don't really you don't have to do that. So now it's it's approaching radio, which is I guess the 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 little beacon of light in there, is that at some point these um, national rights associations they're also working on it that at some point you have to turn that around and, and 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 start paying uh musicians as well as the right owners in the same way as you've been paying them for radio listening like public performance rights. sure okay yeah
3: yeah Damn.
2: that you know it might be uh maybe a, a thin straw but it is it is still a straw that i'm 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 involving myself in quite a lot of of organizational life in Norway for for musicians. And that's something that's being discussed a lot. Like when it's being sort of used as a radio, then it should be also monetized like radio, I think.
3: That's interesting. I mean, for example, this, right. I I started this podcast basically as soon as the the lockdown happened. I've been planning to do it for years. And for example, maybe let's say we'd met uh, two or three summers ago at you know, let's say Eisnerflug, I said, I could have said, Hey man, here's my recorder. Let's go and talk for 45 minutes. Is that cool? My plan was to just talk to people I knew and random musicians and organizations. And then I never quite got around to it. And then this expedited the whole thing um, that I was, I said, okay, now I need to do this. But when you, when you, for example, sign up to the platforms to start, a, uh, a podcast like I have tens of thousands of listening hours now because people are listening for 20, 30, 40 minutes to a podcast, but there's no, there's no terms of service, which says once you get to XXX hours, you are owed this, this, this money. It's all about using the podcast as your platform from which to maybe do an ad read, or you're going to have to generate your own income. So, I mean, uh, let's say Spotify. I don't know if I have 20 something thousand listens on Spotify so far something like that um that's a lot that's an awful lot of time but because it calculates podcasts i imagine differently from music there is no um clear understanding of where you have to get to to make anything and that's the, that's again sort of symptomatic of the same kind of problem that we're talking about
2: exactly because it's not being it's a black box economy it's a, it's it's doing the same thing as they're doing in finance it's just a. Uh, People know how much, like, you, you can always find out how many people are subscribing and how much they're paying. Yeah. But, but then it all sort of lumps together in this black box and cuffs out some kind of amount. And people have this false impression that still, it's, it's still there that it's, the problem is with the record companies, which it isn't really, because we're in the same boat. Well, um, well so I, I, mean, would say, I, I would
3: say this, though. I mean, it, and it's not really, I suppose it's not really common knowledge, but as I understand it, Well, like, let's say the main record companies, you know, the Universals and the Sonys, they bought into the streaming platforms and renegotiated a higher streaming percentage for themselves. But that's never passed down to the artist, which is one of the reasons why you saw lots of the heavy metal big hitters being bought out by old um legacy media because they have 20 30, five years of back catalog which is basically money for old rope now probably that saying that will probably get me into trouble with some people but i don't see why it should be like some sort of open secret but i think that's as i understand it there was a renegotiation of percentages let's say between universal and spotify but that wasn't passed on to universal artists so i don't know if i don't know if we are in quite the same boat you know
2: No, there's differences too, you know, between the people who are, who were only on the owner side of Spotify and your regular record company, so to speak.
3: Yeah, true. Yeah.
2: Because they, the thing is, that's what you see in your, on your royalty statements. And and at least my experience um, is that, yeah, I work, I work in a record company myself by North Records, Mm -hmm. um, Place an ad there. Uh, and <laughs> what we get is from our aggregators, the people who sort of collect from Spotify and all these people, we, we get it down. It's in the Excel sheets. You can see like per stream. It's, yeah. the, the amounts are staggeringly low, of course. But if I want to go and look at every line on the like the 100,000 lines of Spotify entries on a on a statement, you, you can do that. And then we have, you know, our deal with, with the artist typically uh, a typical record industry standard today. It's like 50-50 with digital because it's, you know, there's, there's no storage. Um, it's not the the physical. Um, you can't really tell, like, with, with an LP that you have to deduct packaging. Mm. <laughs> a digital yeah. single and so on.
3: No, exactly. There's no, there's no physical deductions. Uh, I was reading this thing about um, Spotify and I think it's probably because with Joe Rogan moving to Spotify, they have tried to, I presume they're trying to create a video platform. And I have a feeling next year, you're gonna see something like Spotify allowing bands to maybe have a small window to show those kind of live streamed shows. And I was reading that they're going to offer that to bands, but with an even more reduced capacity for, uh, an even more reduced royalty rate, you know? That could be really, really strange. Um, I've I've kind of resisted the I don't want to be do those sh- shows in an empty room but in fact the decision has been taken out of my hands anyway because in Ireland we couldn't even meet to do that but it strikes me that next next year there's going to be a scrum to try and uh, uh, to, to process video um, I suppose instant messaging or something like this onto Spotify
2: Have yeah that's that's where where uh, we're all being. Uh heard it i guess we talked about that earlier too that it's the the content is like the new thing yeah instead that's replacing the live um the live the breaking of bands so to speak that you have these new bands that are coming up that they're they're ready to to break in the sense that they they're coming with a bunch of of content they have clever people around them uh, or in the band or whatever Mm. that can tell them how to produce this content and i guess in one aspect it's yeah you can. I, I don't particularly like it in the in the sense that it 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 has the same disadvantage for bands as you talked about the Norwegian application, uh, like the government supporting bands. Um, and and within that, there's also a, you can see. In, 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 there's been a discussion in Norway, not relevant to us particularly because as, as I said, we can't really enter that because we're we're a f- foreign playing band. Yeah. But then now they're discussing like. Is that is that fair that the bands who have people who are sort of really good at at writing good applications that fit mm. uh, the parameters are, 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 that they're being given the grants and it's the same with with the music industry like is it fair that the band that's not really that good at songwriting but they have a bass player that's prolific in, in, in telling stories in 30, 40 seconds with two cameras, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. That's, that's the new advantage. So when you're doing auditions, it's like, Oh, skip the playing. Just just tell us a great story. Yeah. I mean,
3: that's, you're totally right. That's one of the, one of the things about, and I've noticed even just doing the podcast is that a friend of mine said, I starting from nothing and he sort of said, well, look, once you have 10, 15, 20 episodes, you're going to notice there's a kind of, um, it's the numbers will start to move and also then your Instagram and blah, blah blah is okay and now you're making a YouTube channel now it feels like being five years too late to the party of course party whatever but it is a kind of a depressing existential um, sort of reality that you were once an artist and now you're a content creator and that to have any sort of future in this weird digital landscape it's not really going to be about the song's that we make essentially, it's going to be about what you say. And that's a sort of, I, mean, I feel very, conf- well, I, feel, I obviously think that that's a terrible thing, but I feel conflicted in the sense that I feel like I have to take part to keep the band relevant and, you know, and to give myself something to do like the podcast, of course, from not going insane. But it's, if, if all of the things we knew as musicians are sort of gone, from this uh, you know, f- future, I- I'm not so sure that I'm going to be able to navigate it. I mean, I thought, okay, I'll make one more primordial. And if there's no gigs or traveling, we-, we just put it on the shelf in the deep freeze until such a time as we can just play a big hall in the Ukraine and the big hall in Russia. But I won't. Being removed to just like this, a square on a screen, I-, I just find it really existentially depressing. I just use the word existential twice, three times. A week. How, t- how pretentious is that?
2: But it is an ex- existential question. It's like you remember why you went into doing this. Uh, in our case, 25, 30 years ago, um, it was certainly not to give the most exciting sort of work all day to find the most exciting angle about your everyday life, so to speak, in between the shows. That's a good point, it actually. It, it was to, uh, to focus everything in on those show. Moments and being in the studio and writing the songs, and then sort of remove the rest. That that was the allure of the whole thing. That the rest didn't have to to, to follow with that. Like, um and yeah. So it's it's definitely a, a choice that it, that is going to be relevant in the years to come. I think that people have to make up their minds of of is it worth it? You know what is what is art? Yeah. Is
3: it content or is it yeah? It's something else. Yeah. I suppose that's...
2: a struggle to sell whatever you're creating, or is it the thing in itself?
3: Mm. Yeah, I suppose that's, the, that's, that's exactly it. That's the thing that I've been sort of um, grappling with, uh, I suppose. Because Primordial Enslaved is pretty similar in many respects. We started around the same time, same kind of years, between 91 and 93. And you put 25, 30 years into building this thing up, and it's more or less somebody pulls out the structure from underneath within... A couple of weeks and it really lays very clear I've been using the words agency and purpose a lot in the sense that just making content from your um, from your home this remote living future has no has none of the joys um, or agency or purpose as I said of the reasons why we started playing in a band and I'm not sure I could continue if that's exactly what it was for i don't know three four years something like this you know
2: yeah it's pretty crazy it's sort of a restart the rebirth involuntarily rebirth in the sense mm. you have to uh to make up your mind but then again the, the 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 listeners i guess i want to call them still keep on calling them listeners they don't have you know it's mm. it's I Don't want to call them consumers or viewers or whatever um they do do also have a hand in this, I guess, that they can, they can move things by, by being active. And I think, I think we're in the last dance, the metal scene where people are still buying some physical products, mm. still going at it with the merch and everything. And I guess, yeah, I was talking about it, and, and maybe some some listening to it can, they just have to make that small effort of, of making a conscious choice of instead of going just a little just a little um, action of, of being on Spotify and not necessarily going on, going wild on the playlists all the time. Or if you're on the playlist and you hear something that's good, make sure you, you stop that and you go over to the artists on the mm. channel and listen to the stuff from there mm. um, and, and make little, make little things like that. I think that's really important. Go to their own web stores, yeah, uh, wh- wherever that exists and, and buy it from the artist. It's, yeah, I mean, it's the big movements in the end.
3: Yeah, I mean, people say that to me. Oh, you're not doing okay in merch, and I have to try and explain to them. Well, you have to print it, ship it, post it from Ireland, um, divide it by five before tax, yeah. and that realistically, you're going to have to be selling thousands and thousands and thousands of euro of merch to make even enough money for one person that you'd make from playing one festival. And, and people go, oh, and I go, it's because they they think that. I just print primordial merch on my own and I would take all the money. But of course there's five people. And that's one of the things I always think about modern pop music or pop culture is that, you know, you've probably noticed this as well is that it's very much just based on one person, a brand pop stars now are not a band anymore. They're just a brand. And so mm-hmm. that's doing this podcast. I want to, you know, I even saw it myself subconsciously, it's called, it's, it's after my name, but not my, you know primordial name or nothing to do with primordial because i'm thinking oh i want to make this a separate thing and then i realize oh i'm am i doing the same kind of thing by trying to create a sort of a brand so to speak around uh, a kind of small minor cult of personality around yourself and i find that kind of uh, it's a complex thing to try and navigate
2: absolutely yeah but it's it's definitely benefiting the band Mm,
3: yeah, uh, that is true
2: it, it It's doing a lot for the for the band that wouldn't happen otherwise and and again, back to the to the reality of things that someone has to be someone in a band has to be up there with their face and, and do that those content things.
3: Mm, I suppose that that's true, and if you're if you're in a band who don't have that i mean I do feel sorry for bands who just started and were just about ready to go to their first festival season and their first tour, all of a sudden had it completely taken from them. That must be a crazy thing, you know because we're about the same age and we started doing this when we were what 15 16 and to already have 30 years behind us i've tried to sort of rationalize it in my head even though i wasn't quite ready to be over or finished um that you know not to say we are of course um but if you were just starting can you imagine just starting out now
2: no, it's uh, it's horrible. I know it, I know a few bands that had were, were going to tour for their first albums. I know one band, Mr. from from Iceland, who uh, who literally landed in the U.S. on the Thursday and had to turn back on the Friday, yeah, uh, for a tour that they've been planning on working hard for a long time to to sort of support their first album uh, on a support tour for a bigger band and stuff over there, and that's that's pretty crushing. I think and mm. any band that 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 tries that out and continues. I think they deserve uh, big honors. But it's 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 a weird world, man. Like my my daughters, uh, the youngest one, six years old, and this is the year she started school. Everything. So she's she's these limitations of if they can do a Halloween party, they were able to do three little girls could do like a party because they're organized in cohorts or whatever they call them. Mm. Uh, and that was just like the the most insane, wonderful thing that they've ever experienced because they they haven't been able to go to one single birthday party or anything like that that they would mm. do every second week before this thing happened. So she's she she she's already sort of in that frame of mind of of this COVID mm. thing. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can maybe if you're going to go see grandparents, you have to go. Um, be on the outside of the house, they'll be in the doorway, blah, blah, this kind of thing.
3: Yeah, it's a a terribly, I mean, I've been sort of talking a lot about this in the podcast. I mean, to me, to me, all of the measures, well, not all, but most of the measures are disproportionate to the amount of, um, there's only two numbers that matter to me, and that's deaths and hospitalizations. Um, Cases Mm -hmm. are cases, because we don't normally test for cases, not to get too into this in a flu season, but... You are right. It's sort of programming young people a certain way. And I'm, I'm really like, when I talk to friends of mine, uh, and I get it, not everybody wants to be as obsessed about the same things as me or to have such a dark world view, essentially. But you're, you're talking about, um, these measures are incredibly anti-human, you know? Yeah. And they create exactly what you're talking about. And that's a really, how young people, maybe at four, five or six in their formative years how do they cope with this if this goes on for a couple more years is that they become exactly the sort of remote living consumers that the future intends them to be because they've been separated from um a humanistic sort of upbringing does that you know does it make sense
2: yeah it does so you have to sort of counter it and make sure like uh, as parents we've been trying to be uh, aware of that 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 it's way too easy to just uh, compensate all those like uh, social urges and so with with, uh, with, with the d- digital solutions but we try to fight it by with spending more on buying whatever um, you know tools to paint or to build little wooden stuff or whatever and whenever there's a chance to do something even mm. though it's a, at a distance you know we, we'll we'll jump at it as long as 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 it is within the confine of of what is legal so to speak yeah yeah uh, so it's i think that's important that we uh, because what you're saying is that that's the, the real the danger on a bigger scale not only for the music industry everything yeah, becomes that of course that that they're not consuming everything through through yeah this this hunt for content it, it has to be they have to teach to be taught how to get bored too you know yeah, there's, there's not a digital solution for for boredom. It's not really that. It's it's a it's an, a numbing, a total numbing. That's what they're aiming at, and 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 that got to be avoided at all costs. Well, I mean, of
3: course, it's just that we're unfortunately we've been sort of. I feel like the brakes have been you let off the train, and it left the station, and now an attempt to slow it down. Um, we 're mixing in political cowardice, political incompetence and, and, and you know a fear fear mongering, a lack of understanding and I think I, what a lot of people didn 't recognize and i maybe it 's because i 've always been interested in this kind of stuff, and you know you know it's the same thing if you 've traveled the world and been to places um, where freedom is not the default setting of society, and that twenty five thirty years ago they had a history of authoritarianism I, you recognize oh this is this these are the um the signs of an authoritarian move movement and most people don't realize that they don't realize that when you hand over all of your freedoms and liberties to a state you don't usually get them all back that doesn't it's not really how it works because the nature of power and politics itself is that all of a sudden you've handed over um four or five million people in ireland their their entire lives are literally now decided by six to twelve people and tell me that isn't some form of um Ah, aphrodisiac in relation to the power they wield you know do you feel
2: yeah. it's within the nature of of politics to, to grasp at those things uh, and 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 hold on to them for for their for their lives so that's that's also really important and i think that's great that you're also addressing that in your podcast next to the music uh, and that, that people can uh, be aware of that they have to use whatever uh, possibilities they have after this. People mm-hmm. have to have a good memory now of which politicians, which political parties did what yeah. in which cases during the pandemic. Yeah. And ensure sure that they vote accordingly to that, in, in the places that they can still vote, of course.
3: Yeah, I mean, Europe is, Europe is still theoretically I think too democratic for some sort of globalist authoritarian view of everything. Uh, well, I think. But I do, I do wonder about... Um, like there is an awful lot of people who seem comfortable with this though and that's what really worries me i think it's a kind of it's the new middle class kind of tech it people who kind of have what they want who are in suburbia who go well my life isn't that different and when you say to them concepts of liberty freedom they they, they're sort of analogous existential hey concepts that most people go well i'm all right i get to you know work in my pajamas Um, watch Netflix and uh, you know kind of uh, who cares if they're the problems for somebody else somebody said to me why do you give a fuck about whether the theater is open or not you never went to the theater and I said well that everything that's wrong about this whole situation is encapsulated in that sentence why do I give a fuck about something that I that because it's one of the oldest known expressions of art and culture known to man that's why and any society without it is a society that uh, is you know is is of less importance that has no spirit no soul whatever but you know and people look at me like huh so get, okay just go back to watching whatever it is and that's really surprised and worried me how many people are just like
2: well it's okay exactly and i think that's also the reason why we should all in the music industry should think about music in general not only you know our little island on what what, what we're doing but in general how is it affecting the, the the big picture Absolutely.
3: What do you mean by that?
2: I mean, in, in like in our case, I would still support strongly what the, the, the Norwegian government are doing in, in terms of supporting artists, even though it didn't really benefit us. Okay, uh, yeah. It's still still an important fight. Uh, and I think that I am optimistic that they will get to that at the end. Uh, and I, I do see like the difference is an artist that is solely based has his fan base his or her fan base in norway yes Mm -hmm. they they need that more because they don't have this thing where we can like this where we can uh, talk to people in other countries and and there will be streams you know uh, or vinyl orders or t-shirt orders coming in from all over the world they need to keep it alive where they are locally instead of just being like yeah fuck the whole thing it, it doesn't help us so why should we get involved but yeah true. I, I do try and support support that also even though it it's going to support bands that sound horrible and i would never yeah. listen
3: well that's true although at the same time i would say that for bands who make a living abroad they have the they have to take a flight to get to a festival or a gig and that sort of makes the cost a lot more different but well, I wanted to uh, ask you something um I was thinking about this today, and somehow somehow the sort of career paths of primordial and enslaved have some similarities and I think people are interested in the olden days you know um and <laughs> and one of the things was I was thinking about is that when you're when you start when let's change tack a little bit, the early nineties okay so Enslaved and Primordial both came from that second wave of black metal scene. But what was it that made you guys veer off into the sort of the more pagan cultural aspect, which then molded the band? Because we sort of came from the black metal scene as well. I adopted a few more of the trappings of it, but again, there was elements of culture, history, and tradition. Why was it that you just didn't want to be an orthodox black metal band?
2: Yeah, I guess... The uh, the answer is easy. Just this didn't resonate as much with us as it did when we were writing and singing about uh, this this Norse culture. That Mm. was what what resonated with us on a personal level. I think it had to do with a more of a uh, a wholeness in a sense that all these the the dark sides, uh, you know, the the violence, all this was was. Appealing and, and and still is because it's such an important part of of existence, uh, but there's so much, so many other aspects also. There's there's the the quietness, the tenderness, the yeah, the the bright side of life. Uh, to uh, paraphrase Monty Python, there uh, that was also important. There was just too much of this things that would have to be contained and excluded if we were to be honest with the art, so to speak. Mm. Uh, In the black metal frame set, there was just not enough room for for who we were in a sense. Um, And and, and back in the olden days, this whole concept of the bands being genuine about what they were portraying and singing about were were a lot more different. We didn't it didn't really happen before the late 90s that it became sort of uh, okay to, you could even say in interviews, I, I remember reading the first interviews and people said, no, 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 we're not Satanists or anything. It's just, just a really cool, cool. Uh, we, it's really cool to put on the makeup and, and sort of be someone else when we're yeah. in a band. W- what? What are you talking about? Yeah. How, yeah.
0: How,
2: how, can you, how can you do that? Wouldn't it feel really weird to stand there and play in front of people and, and pretend and think like, us oh, suckers. Yeah, you know, it's it doesn't doesn't make sense. Uh, and the Norse, the whole Norse, this is it's it's simply because where we are, it's not because it's better or more um, better or, or like superior to other cultures or anything like that. Quite the contrary, it just gives us a better insight into to, <coughs> gives you an automatic sort of a a free insight into other people's uh, relation to their backgrounds and their mythologies and their histories. When you, you you learn your own, and the the more as the years have passed, it's just really underlined that that's a big that is a big problem today. That people mm-hmm. think that global is this globalization and the wiping out of of local identities is somehow going to bring us together. That's that's probably like the worst the worst plan since Hitler thought let's go and uh, and take uh Leningrad you know Stalingrad it's going to be an easy mm. uh, week
3: I I agree with you I think that very much, like uh you know the if you I, I I totally agree with that I think the idea that if we turn the whole world into some sort of homogenous Walmart then everybody will get along is just is again a kind of a misreading of what nationalism or patriotism or even just an understanding of your cultural identity means because it, it doesn't necessarily have to mean all of the negative things that people associate with those words just because that's how they've been i suppose inculcated to consider like you know yourself when you go you've been you know you go to south america or central america or all across eastern europe um the the idea that somehow um all these places would be better off if they were just an extension of western hegemony it doesn't really make any sense you know and that's what fascinates me about sometimes people on and um, i call them the new left i suppose is that their idea uh, of making all of these things the same as if as in some sort of like cultural blank slate is incredibly uh, sort of it lacks any appreciation of maybe there are people who haven't traveled the world or something. I'm not sure exactly what I'm trying to say, you know?
2: Yeah. I'm not, I'm not entirely convinced that they are either left or right or anything. They,
3: yeah. It's, it's, it's hard to say because it's our, our, being the age, we are our appreciations of what those terms meant, I think are kind of old fashioned now, yes. you know?
2: I think they're, they're, it's, the, the, it's moved on to sort of a, yeah it's it's more of a capital, discussion on capitalism than it's anything else. It seems to be like um, some people want to cash in in, the, in this way. Some other people want to cash in in that way. And that's how they disagree. It doesn't really connect to, yeah, as you say, the old fashioned left or right in a sense.
3: And I also think that most people don't understand, especially if they haven't traveled the world, how um, being, let's say, playing, you know, this sort of pagan cultural kind of metal is that, what a kind of force for um, understanding and uh, well, what a positive force it can be, a musical and creative and artistic force, when you take your part of, let's say Irish or Norwegian culture and you go and play it in Brazil or Colombia and Chile or something, is that you're actually almost like some sort of ambassador for your cultural for your culture, you know?
2: Yeah, exactly. So what you're doing by representing your own culture or retelling it or, or or putting pride in it is, is I think, encouraging other people to do the same. If that gets, you know, that, but that is, that is it turns out to be quite a, an, an ex, experiment that has to be conducted in ideal settings, you know, in, in a vacuum in a sense, because there's so many, so much noise, so much disturbance, that people want to use it for this and that. Mm, that's, uh, a, that's an
3: interesting way of putting it.
2: But exactly. you might, You have just have to stick with it, and and, and, you know, and and then you have to. Okay, you have to answer the same annoying uh, questions and defend yourself against uh, whatever forces. Some people think you're leaning uh, too too much to the right. Some people think you're leaning too much to the left. And some people think you're not leaning enough in general. So
3: that's true. I I definitely get that. I get people trying to claim me from all sides, and people who are irritated that I don't have their stance on this or that or the other. And I suppose what it is, is that I think one of the worst things about modern society is that because everything is so polarized, everyone assumes that always, they always assume the worst point of any argument. So if I say, I think, let's say, I say, I think that the terms of this lockdown are disproportionate. Somebody goes, well, does that mean you want old people to die? And I go, well, no, the opposite of one is not 10. It's on a scale of one to 10. And that's the problem is that we're talking about culture and history and tradition in a positive sense and when and people have never been to maybe a show where you've played in Mexico or Moscow or something don't see that kind of um the sort of envoy of joy and sort of celebration that come all they associate is immediately all of the most negative tropes because that suits their rather close-minded view of the world or it suits their polarized um sort of the way they've been indoctrinated to only identify polarization in any argument you know so i try and hold the line in the middle ground and go well hang on let's look at it from another point of view and you realize most people are just like ah i haven't got the time for that i only want to know about the worst scenario
2: yeah everything's like a google algorithm that'll take you you will search for um you know uh, toys for small children and you'll end up at uh, some kind of neo-nazi rally <laughs> Two seconds. <laughs> <laughs> um, no program to get us there. It's uh, to to. But I, I just what you mentioned this this joy. I went with one of the last uh, live gigs I saw before the shutdown was uh, Vardrúna playing hmm. in, in Colorado, uh, Red Rocks. Oh yeah, big show, six thousand people. I was there working, and uh, I, you could definitely see the audience up close. And it was if if somebody tells me that that, that had some negative. Um, negative results of, of this like Nordic uh, band going over there and playing. There was a bunch of university dudes, of course, studying. The Nordic studies are very big in that area. Mm-hmm. He had uh, the Norwegian uh, indigenous artist uh, Mari Boine uh, opening for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's widely known. So there was a variety of Indian tribes coming to see the show. Yeah, And they yeah. were there um, mixed in with all these sort of metalheads, people you would see at the Zveve Gothic Trafania, Yeah, yeah. And you would see <laughs> the American metalheads and the 5,000 other people just like regular Joes going to see see shows. Some because they heard the music, found it beautiful. Had, some because they've seen Vikings. Some mm-hmm. because they had a Danish grandfather. Um, some because they didn't have a great Danish grandfather, wish, wish they had. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, sure. There was like there was at no point any kind of not even in the merchandise line it was like enormous. There was any kind of hostility mm. you were a- able to trace. That's just it, that every, everything. If if that that theory about globalization being sort of the only solution and localization being the enemy, yeah, that would show would have been a, a bad you know a bad one. That would have yeah, been yeah. riots, but doesn't happen it's because you have an artist and you have a setting and you have listeners who are aware of this yeah i mean i had this i had this discussion with um two girls in
3: sweden uh you know the festival a few years ago and I, i said to them what what uh i said you know most swedes are very well traveled and they go to southeast asia and i said i said to them when you go to let's say um vietnam or cambodia or thailand when you go there what do you like about it Um, you know, and the conversation went back and forth and I said, well, you like maybe the Buddhist pageantry, you like the, you know, the religious displays, you like the different food, the colors, the smells, the the feeling of, you've probably been in Southeast Asia, I guess, but it's an incredible place, you know? And I, I said to them, well, the things you like about that are the differences that you find in where you're from or else there'd be no point in traveling there. So why not allow those same differences to be applied to Ireland? or Finland, or I don't know, Switzerland. Why why do you wish this kind of homogeneity on Europe, but you allow, let's say, Laos or Cambodia or Vietnam to have the things, the differences that you like about it? That doesn't make any sense. And I think it's all very, because it's so far away, um, it's it's a sort of paradox that doesn't make any sense, that what they're allowed to do, to have these differences, but it's better off for us not to have, and of course, this got into you know a bit more politics and stuff, but it, but they were kind of stumped by the question, and then I said, well, what, you look, the things you like about Cambodia are the, the fact that it's not exactly like where you're from or else you wouldn't bother going there.
2: Exactly. That is exactly. That's why we're adventurous. That, that's why we say we like to experience new things, everything. so we have to get I think it's it's going to take a lot of time to, to get to that admission, but at some point, we, I think the, the Western world, quote unquote, is going to have to admit that, that, that the globalization thing is, yeah, it's great for business, but probably not good for, for people. No. Mm.
3: But so you, going, going back to the olden days, but you probably found um, quite a lot of resistance to the path that enslaved took in the beginning, right? From the black metal scene, I suppose.
2: Yeah, I thought it was pretty uh, ridiculous at some point with all this uh, all this joy and lifeliness that was uh, pairing up with, with the darkness, yes. Mm, I remember, yeah, <laughs> reading interviews with people and stuff. But did it,
3: I mean, the because you started doing this, I think, I uh, we're about the same age, I think, but even younger than me. So that means you must have been sort of playing the guitar since you were like 10 or 11 or something would it be or nine or
2: yeah uh, I was was around nine yeah eight nine um, not, not playing like directly going into uh, killer riffs or anything like that but I started playing along with my dad when he was playing his uh, Bob Dylan songs during the weekend oh, yeah. wow okay so uh, he had a second guitar that he got from the attic and uh, then I started out playing uh, the bass lines for him and, and eventually a couple of chords and then, yeah, then Metal, around 10. And then,
3: so then you have Hordane's Land and the sort of explosion that happened after that. That must have been very strange because that EP, we were just sort of, you know, was we were playing and we just maybe made our demo, I think, and they were talking about making the demo into a 12-inch, and we sort of looked at that Emperor Enslaved EP and thought, oh God, wouldn't it be amazing to have an EP like that. But that EP made, made had a huge impact, I think, at the time. Even on us, we just couldn't believe the, you know, the oh, oh, the, like this big epic scale of that we'd only really heard with Bathory, of, of course. Um, mm. But th-
2: that was a sort of kind of a groundbreaking release, wasn't it? It was, yes. Everything happened from there on, so to speak. The demo uh, the year before Yggdrasil had, uh, yeah, got some reviews here and there and people were talking about it and, and, and were excited but things like really happened after the whole On uh, EP, definitely.
3: And do you remember the first gigs you played outside of
2: Norway? Yeah, that was on the Winter War uh, yeah, yeah. tour with Marduk. You can, you can ima- imagine that happening today: Marduk and Enslaved Winter War tour Europe. That yeah, would yeah. be a disaster. Um, but that was first show was in Vienna. Uh, and I was, yeah, it was great. It was epic. There was so many people coming out. It was the same. People had a little bit of knowledge of the scene of this, like, new extreme metal, black metal, whatever mm. thing happening. Uh, you've had, um, speaking of catchy names, uh, Immortal and Rotting Christ had already been on the Fuck Christ tour. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, which is still to date, I think, my, maybe my favorite tour title. <laughs> uh, and... But then we went to the U.S. in the summer of the same year, in 95, and there was like really a sort of a going to the zoo kind of vibe. Really? And there was all kinds of metal people going. I had no idea. haven't heard about the stuff before. Uh, and was we that? were there like in full-on Viking costumes. Grütle had his bronze helmet. Yeah, yeah. He had, had to give up in Mexico because he got, kept getting electrocuted every time he touched <laughs> the microphone with the nose protector. How, um, who did you do that tour with? In the US, it was uh, John McEntee from, John, uh, from Incantation who set it up.
3: Oh yeah, um, no, I mean, which, but you just, you,
2: you just toured with, as you enslaved, no support bands or no other bands. All oh, right. In the US, there was uh, Incantation, yeah. Um, wow. Absu. Absu, yeah, yeah. Ba- 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 Absu from Texas. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, of course, yeah. And there was basically those three bands who were touring on that tour, yeah. And then Mexico is just like a guy coming to the Texas show and offering us to do two weeks in mexico so we phoned home and lied and said that we've been offered a super holiday in texas for two weeks all right we're gonna hang out and do that for free (laughs) Uh, okay because
3: you must have been like 19 or 20 or something then
2: right 17 when we did that tour
3: 17
2: yeah i didn't tell my mom mom about the mexico thing before before i was well into the (laughs) twenties. That's pretty pretty crazy. Crazy times, but lots of fun.
3: But over the years, then, touring, like I saw Enslaved uh, with Between the Buried and Me in L.A. a few years ago. And you sort of moved, you know, I'm skipping a few years here now, but you've sort of moved into touring with different kinds of bands. um, Sometimes more prog stuff and High on Fire and that kind of thing. Is this a kind of conscious decision to move a little bit to step to the left of playing with, you know, more extreme
2: bands? Seems to be. Yeah, we're trying different things. Uh, When you mentioned those bands, I would say uh, Between the Buried and Me, that worked quite well. Um, Lots of young, um, of these young prog metal uh, listeners are quite open to and get very surprised because they have this very, I I would say that in one sense, they're more open-minded because they'll check out things. But in, in another sense, they're less open-minded because they have this idea about anything that has an extreme metal or black metal thing tied to it. They haven't even heard the genres. So when they go and are being exposed to a band like us, mm. they get surprised. Like even the old stuff, they're like, oh, but there's uh, there's still melody uh, and yeah. big patterns here. And we're like, what do you expect? Just like pure white noise? And they're like, yeah, kind of.
3: Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I sometimes I find those kind of fans unbearable because they are variations of Tool fans who are the most unbearable music fans that there is. The idea that somehow, I guess it's because it's associated with a sort of various, an element of middle-class academia that thinks it's cleverer than it is. So, of yeah. course, if you can't, you know, and everything is about musicianship, but at the end of the day, Venom and Misfits is better. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> Um it's it's has a sort of a, so many uh, pretensions wrapped up in it that I find it kind of difficult to deal with. Even though I love Rush and whatever else, you know, um, the idea that I because I watched the show in LA and I I could see kind of like these kind of between the Bird and Me fans going ugh every time you guys pulled like a guitar move or something because they just hated any display of old fashioned rock. Um, they
2: are not like that. Yeah. No, they really don't like.
0: that <laughs>
2: but uh, the, the tour that didn't really work was like high on fire, great band, cool yeah. guys to tour with but the fans they're, they're really not interested in anything outside of the, mm-hmm. like the first few notes uh, it's like oh it's tuned, tuned two, two half steps down, Yeah, not enough.
3: No and they yeah I noticed that at least the, the ones that I saw uh, people sort of kind of went mm, and sort of left. Yeah people. that
2: that's a weird tour, it was still quite a good turnout but we were, when and we changed around, so the nights when Slavery were playing late, people would stay, watch the High on Fire, and then watch Enslave. The nights when High on Fire were playing last, they would, uh, no, I mean the other way around, they would just like leave after High on Fire. So that was a bit of a bummer. I would think that, turns out like the reason all those people stayed when we played at Roadburn, were that they didn't have anywhere else to go.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I made I made a fucking mistake at Roper, and I I got we got this huge big screen and projectors, and I I, I made all this kind of uh, curious videos of like everything from um, you know volcanoes exploding, um, the atom bomb going off, um, the soldiers marching, all this kind of stuff, and I forgot oh people will just walk out and leave. So after three songs, people were like, mm, meh. <laughs> and you just sort of go oh yeah okay that maybe the pants are too tight or something. It just didn't really work. But what about all those kind of weird years at the end of the 90s to like the mid-2000s? They always strike me as sort of strange wilderness years for I suppose black metal hadn't had another wave yet to come and the new metal was the most popular thing, but they were kind of odd years as a fan and as a band. Um, did you find them a bit strange?
2: yeah and it coincided also with this digital revolution that we mentioned mm. so it was really uh yeah deserty i would say like wandering in the desert but luckily our mission statement was from the beginning to just make our own favorite music and i guess we we really got plenty of space to do that there was not a lot of live playing um yeah. There was not a lot of attention in, in that sense. When they wanted a Norwegian band, they wanted someone with, a, with an actual arrest record. Um, yeah. Uh, and we weren't that. So yeah, that was, that was some weird years. I also think that was probably on the good side, we did, did get a lot of, you know, band wise soul searching done. We were really working and and diving deep into what we wanted to do. And I also think that gave us the sort of that, it took away uh, whatever illusions we had about, uh, about putting in work equals results and that kind of stuff. So we realized we have to be independent in that sense. We have to make our own music. And also we have to make sure that we have food on the table, does not have to depend on whatever races the, the booking agents uh, go for that season mm.
3: yeah that's a that's a that's a good point it's a sort of a, they were weird years I remember being on lots of weird strange tours and sometimes you'd go to one city and there'd be a big turnout and then you'd, there'd be 50 people the next day and yeah. it it seemed to be a really strange place because all the whole summer festival season, whether you like it or dislike it, hadn't really established itself as a force that you could just go back and forth every weekend to um, and have some sort of economy and play to a lot of people, you know, which has its own negative, negative consequences, of course. But they seem to be odd years. And then things kind of moved back around in like 2007, 8, 9, which oh, yeah. seemed, to, seemed to be better years.
2: Absolutely, and for us that coincided also with some albums that did did quite well. Um, and t- uh, signing with with Nuclear Blast uh, and getting a l- little bit more of a yeah sync between the live and the album, it's like, you know uh, efforts, and, and that really worked well. So everything what- is going really well from there on until March this year. <laughs> And
3: what about you personally, though? Because you make uh, lots of other different kinds of music with different kinds of people. Like we met in Iceland, and you were doing your electronic kind of experimental stuff. How did you did you what? Where was all? Where did all this come from?
2: It's been something I've been um, interested in all the way from the beginning. Uh, It's it's been there on the like a side interest besides metal all this uh, synthesizer sequencer music, especially from the 70s, the Germans, Klaus Schulz, The Tangent Dream. Yeah, yeah. And, and some newer ambient music, uh, electronic music that I like a lot. But yeah, It's been an outlet for that, but uh, totally uh, like hobby based. No ambitions besides being able to maybe do a show here and there. And I've been lucky to be able to do that.
3: That's strange you mentioned that because I remember i um, reading an interview I think with Euronymous somewhere in 91 or 92 and he was discussing Tangerine Dream and as you say Klaus Schulze and this album The Black Dance was really sort of important and then I remember reading that and going hmm never heard of this band and just randomly that day found uh, like Phaedra and a few Black Dance and a few other things for like one pound in the second hand shop and it was just that thing where you pick up a fanzine and go oh Tangerine Dream. Well, I hate the name of that, how that sounds, but I'll go and see if I can find a record. And then you find two or three. And it sort of opened up this whole different avenue just right there and then. You know the way you used to go through the thanks list in old band's records and go, ah,
2: Penance. Okay, I must find that demo or something, you know? Exactly. And so do you kind of... That's where I got it from too. It was recommended. uh, Both the prog rock stuff was... Euron was selling it to us in his shop. Oh, right, yeah. And I think that that's, one one of the things that I find
3: really, uh, I think about about quite a lot in this sort of whole pandemic era is that it, some people said to me, oh, this is going to encourage musicians to be super creative. And I thought to myself, is it, or is it going to encourage people to just, just make more music because there's nothing else to do? And I don't know if that's the best impulse, but I thought to myself, wow, next year, there's going to be lots of a horrible acoustic um, Americana, sort of like folk music, by like lots of metal bands and lots of uh, drone and lots of this, that, and the other. Because everybody now has four or five albums to release, you know. But you, you couldn't be accused of that because you were there first, so you know. <laughs> but it, it strikes me that uh, there's going to be even more stuff coming next year.
2: I think so too. Um, and I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we did what we did with releasing the album as it was ready now we're going to be we're going to be following the cycle as it is, so to speak. Um, yeah, um, as you said, keeping busy b- with other musical projects, but not more than it would have been normally. Yeah. You know, there's no no albums that that's a result of the pandemic. I don't want it to be that that kind of influence. There's been more like non musical work uh, happening uh, since. Yeah, since a lot of the income has been been gone, but uh, I think that's yeah, that's, that's fair and square.
3: Mm. What 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 exactly? Well, when you know, I mean, what what are the kind of things you've you've been putting your energy into? Because I found it very difficult to put to find where to put that energy because everything has been closed and shut here, and there are hundreds of thousands more people unemployed. So it's not like I could go and do some crew work or some stage work or some. Uh, everything is shut, or you know, I said closing down. So it's been a bit difficult to find my energy has gone into this the podcasting and all that kind of stuff but it's times like this it struck me where having a normal regular job to stop so you could switch the brain off a bit would be very helpful what have you been putting your energy into though
2: most of it's going into by norse the record company and that uh, we've been you know structuring it a lot because it started in 2016 with a reissue of viking uh, Liga valley of enslaved and, and then valdrunas um, uh, Ragnarok album, which is obviously the, the, the big seller. Um, so we've spent this year on, on, on really structuring the, the company and, and my part of it is working on the economy side. So I've been doing a lot of Excel uh, work. <laughs> and and it, it's, it's I have to say, I, I, I really like appreciate having had that this year. Also I work a little bit uh, with our management and Slate's management ISA Music. I work yeah, of course of so. that team. I used to, um, to work, I had a couple of artists that I was um, sort of working as a regular manager, but it turns out this, the same reason why I found having a management for enslaved was a good, good idea. is probably the same uh, for me. So I work in the same way as by Norse. I do background work. I work with the economy, uh, economics and that kind of stuff. Then we have this Nordic music merch that uh, is also part of ISA. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's been something i've been able to to work quite a lot with also to find a find a good it's just about you know making a, a place like a new sort of a new strategy for for web, online web shop where it's a, more conceptual i would say than 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 just getting a bunch of of merchandise to mm-hmm. try and find ways of, of uh yeah, products you know b- being a little bit more Ecological and that kind of thing, finding good ways of of posting things, as we've mentioned, that's a big struggle for bands and so on.
3: Yeah, of course. And do you think that Norway is a good country from which to base those kind of things on? I mean, one of the problems we have here is, of course, the tax bases and um, I suppose complications with the small, the whole small business industry here at the moment is quite difficult. So trying to get everybody on the same page within the band is complicated. You
2: know, yeah,
3: but we, you think but Norway's a good country to do that
2: from? No. We can't do that. The merchandise thing we can't do from Norway, obviously. It's Norway's completely screwed when it comes to that. Uh just just, just the, the concept of, of parcels passing. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the 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 border is, is is impossible here, which I know from every show we've done with Enslaved Ever. Like the last the shows we did last week and they're like the last piece of merchandise had to be i spent six hours on the phone and finally got it out of customs and and we were able to send pay someone to go and pick it up oh yeah of course yeah yeah i've
3: always, i've had problems with this before when i sent things into norway or i painted backdrops for bands years ago and i would send it to them and they'd be like it's stuck at the border i had to pay an extra 60 pounds or something for it to come through you know
2: so, so that's based uh, in, in Germany, uh, the, the merchandise uh, thing. So I'm part of a team of of people from Switzerland, Germany, and then I'm the Norwegian one. But the record label is is fully based in Norway, mm. which has its uh, disadvantages at some some points. But it's it's not the worst place to have a small business as long as you have to, as long as you can avoid physically moving products across uh, the border. It's it's pretty good.
3: Yeah, I suppose so. So what, okay, so sort of coming to the end of this kind of little chat now, but what, um, <laughs> so what did my, I mean, I'm a kind of pessimist by nature anyway, and I have a feeling this three, four, five lockdown thing is just going to be held over the people for a long time. And it's going to be quite a few, it's going to be a while before things become back to normal. I, I've, I, I do wonder about this whole vaccination process and what it means but are you how are you sort of mentally prepared for like maybe or how are you preparing for next year what's your feeling on what might happen i think it's going to be a, a booking and festival kind of bloodbath as things just keep getting cancelled and move back are you sort of prepared what you, to make another album or what do you think yeah
2: i'm going to continue as it said where um and when I feel the inspiration to start writing a new one I'm going to do that regardless of how the situation is mm-hmm. and then of course it could be a discussion with uh, who knows does the record label still want to release or are not going to tell us to wait we're going to do the album and keep we we keep rehearsing Um we rehearsed more this year than than we ever done before because yeah. that's below the limit of, of how many people you can be and so on the drummer has a studio so we are able also to split up into smaller groups yeah, I mean that's kind of depressing because we can't, we
3: can't even rehearse. So we've only managed to rehearse like twice, and then so every time, the the terms of what lockdown means here are seem to be more strict and severe, and that it's just impossible to drive outside of your kilometre radius for different people from different bubbles to meet. So it's been almost impossible to kind of get some sort of creative flow going so i suppose this has had a kind of negative mental impact on me and that i'm sort of prepared now for next year there to be no gigs um i think i think to myself realistically you know the months dragged by and i think to myself uh you know are they really going to allow forty thousand people to descend on a field in germany for a festival i don't think
2: so no that sounds too wild so i'm prepared for nothing to happen i'm prepared for little things to happen like like last week it was and immense, it was, I have to say, it, it took a big strain. I'm, I'm, I've never been this exhausted before, just from doing two shows. And I can't blame it all on customs. But it was, uh, yeah, driving, preparing and all that stuff. And and it's not that the shows were exhausting at all. It's just like, then you feel the strain of the rest of the year go before it. Sort of like the mental Yeah. Kind of thing. Will this happen? Will this happen? Will this happen?
3: Did you find, Did you find yourself being... Uh, you know, listen, we're grown men, we can talk about our feelings. Did you find yourself being oddly a different kind of emotional? My emotions, uh, were they a little bit different in the context or did you find that it was, a? am not sure how to express it. There's a, because sometimes I think, I think about that step back onto playing again. And even though it's only been eight months, it feels like fucking years. And I go, how are you going to gather all of these things, you know, mentally?
2: Yeah, it was everything was uh, was amplified and and uh, but, but luckily, you know, in the positive, positive direction. It was just just as I mentioned, the air guitar playing, just watching the guy on the front row doing and doing it quite correctly. I have to say, the, the riff that he was doing on the guitar, it did, that was just like the biggest thing ever. It's like, whoa! Yeah, two hundred people here, and they were like really applauding after the last last song and everything. And I think that's probably what makes me feel a little bit worn out, no more than a normal weekend off gig. It's just that uh, it just felt so incredibly important uh, and huge, you know.
3: Yeah, I, I, I sense that. I, I mean, during the summer when we got to, in August, we got to rehearse a few times. You know, there have been times years ago where you'd be in rehearsal and you'd just be reading a book or not paying attention. And I, it just somehow felt, oh, this is really important that these people you know for 30 years that you're coming together to make some music and it, it, it took on a different kind of importance I'm I'm kind of worried that I'm going to get really really angry when we play and end up you know that's going to be the thing that's going to come out more than anything else uh, and because I found that almost impossible to keep in check I'm just one of those dudes that needs to play sport needs to go to the gym needs to wear it off or uh, I, I'm going to end up losing my <laughs> control a little bit you know but maybe not maybe i'll cry like a baby who knows you know but are you going to play more of those are you gonna is there more of those plans those kind of shows
2: yeah we're hoping for it to happen in some way we uh, put in wherever it's been possible to put in an application for um told clubs all over norway you know if you're up for doing these 200 shows we, we'll be there in a spliff, you know, no problem. We'll be, we're ready. We're not whatever you need to not pay us. We'll look into it. And as long as we don't have to sort of pay money to do it, we're up for it. We're, we're just there. We want to play shows for people who want to see shows. So yeah, we've volunteered just to put it like that. Uh, if, if some, if people starts getting vaccinated, we'll be on tour immediately. Um,
3: yeah, I mean, I get the impression that, um, the, the the margins, the finances that maybe people enjoyed before, these are going to be removed now in the next while and that people are going to have to start maybe playing a bit more. Well, not just for the love of it, not that you didn't do that before, but it, it's going to be complicated, I think, getting on a plane to go... Because like I said, coming back full circle, the bands in the middle who are used to pulling four or 500 people, uh, quite how that happens next year i guess we have to wait and see right
2: absolutely Um, right now i'm just thinking about norway uh, to be honest Uh, european touring that seems like a dream it could happen and when it happens it might turn into a nightmare who knows but uh, i'm definitely willing to try all right sir it's been
3: a total pleasure
2: likewise thanks for coming on the uh thanks for coming on the podcast
3: Uh, And and getting used to the new normal of your life as a content
2: creator? Yeah, it's just just old school radio dressed up as an astronaut thing. Okay, let's go with that. Thank you, sir. Thanks, man. Thanks so much. Good talking to you, Alan. Yeah.
3: And there you have it, my friends. The end of episode 31. Ivar from Enslaved. Thank you very much. I'm Alan Averill. This is Agitators Anonymous. Metal never bends.